Good morning, 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 morning. Everybody doing well? That's good. Okay, so we're on, just so for those who aren't sure where we're going in our series, so we're slowly meandering through the Sermon on the Mount. It is what I call Jesus' Jesus manifesto, his probably the pivotal teaching, and it has been done, if you read church history, it has been the pivot, one of the pivotal teachings the church's focuses on, is pulled back to time and time again. And one of the things, you know, over the last few years, and I've mentioned this, that probably the church, probably worldwide, but for sure North America, the ball that the church has dropped is the area of discipleship, making disciples. Because we got our, things got upset through COVID, through just all the political, but there's always been political stuff. But, there's, but through COVID and vaccines and all that stuff that we went through, things got shaken and uh, it exposed stuff for, with how people responded as, as a result, the way we shouldn't respond. And Jesus calls us and always calls the church to follow his way. His command to us or his call to us is follow me, follow how I live life. And it's not always easy, not always easy. And the sermon is, is teaching, Matthew puts it in a nice package for us. That's five, six, and seven. That's the chapters. Um, Luke also has parts of it, but Luke weaves it in throughout his, his gospel there. Either way, it's um, things where we need to slow down, pay attention, listen to the words, and really ponder and also ask, how do we allow that to shape our lives? And I'm treating this like, and it's just because I like this trail, but the Bruce Trail runs from Niagara Falls all the way to Tobermory, 900 kilometers. And what they have as you follow that trail is they have what they call these side trails. And I think, I think they're there because there's you know, specific features they want you can go, go take a look at, whether it's an outlook or whether whatever it is. I also think it's for people, some people, for people like me, <laughs> they've thought of people like me, because some of the trails, some, some parts of the trail are fairly uh, dangerous. <laughs> some of the heights and stuff, some of the things they want you to climb up or climb down. It's like, oops. And if you me that you have this uh, inordinate fear of heights, the side trails help. Because <laughs> it's like, well, you can either tr- attempt this or... Do an extra 3K. I'll do an extra 3K. <laughs> Hands down. Anyway, as we go through this, there are times we take these little side trails. And so we focus on one aspect for maybe three or four weeks on Jesus' teaching. There's in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, Jesus makes this little statement right after the Lord's Prayer that says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's a fairly blunt statement he makes, and it does beg us to just stop and just let's pause there for a bit. Um, in t- looking at for the whole area of forgiveness, uh, one of the books I, I've, re- I've been promoting is the book, um, The Book of Forgiving, written by Desmond Tutu and his daughter Mpo Tutu. Um, I've, I've read that in its entirety. If you are someone who is trying to work through how to forgive someone who has offended you or caused you harm, 
An excellent book. If you are someone who has caused somebody harm or who has offended someone, an excellent book because it walks through steps for you to take. And also that today we're going to be looking at uh, self-forgiveness, forgiving oneself, which is quite important. Now, I'm going to show you a video. It has a, it's only two minutes long. It's, uh, there's a woman, her name is Erin Eddy. You probably have never heard of her. I just stumbled upon her about five years ago. And, uh, and I'll talk more about her later, but I want you to hear what she has to say in this video. Play that now. The mistakes that I had made yeah, no, were sorry. on repeat, over and over and over in my mind, but I replay what I wish I could take back. Have you ever found yourself there? Or maybe you have a friend and you watch him or her replay the choices that they've made over and over. I found myself living out of that internal punishment. If I continue to mentally beat myself up, the Lord will know that I am sorry that I know the repercussions of my choices and what hurt it caused others. And if I could go back in time, I would take it all back. Anytime the Lord wanted to bless me, celebrate me, I would remind him of the mistakes I made years ago. As I shared this with a friend and a lover of the Lord, she said to me, God has already forgiven you, Aaron. On the cross, he carried all of that sin for you. You've expressed remorse but it's time for you to be out of the condemnation that the enemy wants you to live in. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My friend continued to share, I've watched my daughter make choices and knowing they were wrong, and after she felt the consequences from them and came to me and asked me to forgive her, I cannot imagine eight months later when I want to celebrate her I met with her reminding me of the aches of those past choices. It would break my heart that she wouldn't be able to receive a gift from me. I love her so, so much, and there's nothing that she could ever do that would keep me from wanting to love and bless her. My friend is right. There is nothing that can separate me from the Lord. While the Lord's heart breaks for the sinful choices we make, he does not disapprove of his love for us and the grace that he already has for us to receive. Take what she said and just park that to one side. I want to continue with uh, talking about from Luke's gospel. Luke, in his midway point of his gospel, he talks about how Jesus, like the followers were becoming so great that we're following him. It was almost like a mega church number of people that were so interested because there were so many miracles happening. And in that time when, just when it's getting bigger, Jesus lays out the expectations, if you want to be my disciple, that it's going to cost you. And then Luke writes these words, right following that. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. God forbid, right? <laughs> time to time throughout Luke's gospel, you know, it's a, just a bit of sarcasm Luke throws in there. But you can see what's going on there that 
you know, he writes, there's tax collectors and notorious sinners. They're not just sinners. They're really bad, right, <laughs> who are coming. And it's really upset the religious people. And so how does Jesus respond to that? Well, Jesus says, I got some stories to tell you, and they're in the form of parables. And he tells us three. But I want to take us right to the third one, which we're all, most, many of us are familiar with. And it's... The, It's called the parable of the prodigal son. I like to call it the parable of the loving father because I think that's actually the focus is what it's on. And it's found in Luke 15 and it goes from 11 down to verse 32. And I ain't going to read it. I'm not going to have it up there. I just want to read to you part of it, the first part. And this is what Jesus tells the Pharisees and religious people who are listening to him. A man had two sons, and the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. And he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, Gosh, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I'm going to go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. No longer worthy. I don't know if you can identify with that. Many people can, you don't know it, you don't see it on their face, but what they hold inside is a sense of their unworthiness, not worthy of such love or worthy of even to forgive themselves of something they have done. Um, and, it's, and it's a heavy burden that they carry. And you do, you do have to ask the question, how does a person, how does someone get to that place where you feel like that? I don't know if you've ever been there, I have sensed it at times where it's just like, I, I'm not, I don't, I don't deserve, you know, keep coming back to God. It's like I have a counter where if I, you know, come back to God so many times at looking for forgiveness, at some point you go, you know what, I need to just walk away. And that's that whole sense of unworthiness that sometimes we can carry. And as a result, we don't, we can't to, to think of forgiving ourselves We just can't bring ourselves to that. And in his book, uh, Desmond Tutu's book, The Book of Forgiving, he addresses, he he devotes a chapter to forgiving oneself. He calls it self-forgiveness. And he points out that in this, uh, what we face in all of this is two things, guilt and shame. And he says that like they both come at us together when we have, when we struggle with how do we forgive ourselves for something we have done. And uh, guilt is, 
he points out that guilt is something that we've done wrong, whereas toxic shame, he calls it toxic shame, but that shame goes deep into our being, like deep into our personhood, who we are. And he actually quotes, if you've heard of Brene Brown, he quotes from her, and she says she defines guilt as the feeling that I've done something bad and defines shame as the feeling that I am bad, meaning my personhood is bad. And shame can just be one of those things that can just lock you in that prison and not let you out because your, your whole sense of your being is of one of, I'm not worthy of any of this. And it's a prison of unforgiveness is what it is. It's just, it's locked up, that you're locked up in there. And I, and I feel what, it, what shame does is it erodes our self-esteem. It erodes our self-worth of what we think of ourselves. Shame just has that ability to do that. And Desmond continues in his book and he says, he says these words. He says, when we are unforgiving of ourselves, note here what he says. We experience the same harmful emotional and physical effects as when we are unforgiving of other people, of others. We experience the same effects. You know, Desmond's just trying to get across the importance of being able to, to forgive ourselves. And he's adamant that there's no such thing as someone who is just born bad. We learn a lot of this stuff, but he says intrinsically deep inside us, there is goodness we are, that all human beings are created in God's image. And he goes on to say this, he says, if forgiving others leads to external peace, forgiving ourselves leads to internal peace. And note these words, he says, it can be so very difficult when you are both the victim and the perpetrator in your own story. And he, and it's almost like he, he has grasped the, the weight that someone carries who can't forgive themselves, who can't release themselves from that, grant themselves forgiveness, that both they experience the weight of being a perpetrator, but also of being a victim as well. And it's, uh, when you ponder that, it is heavy we still get trapped in that, that, that thing of unforgiveness for ourselves. And uh, what's interesting, he notes that the process of coming to that place where we can forgive ourselves begins with the first step of accepting who we are. And what he says here is that, he says what that means is that you come to accept yourself as a flawed human being. Now, part of me, and I don't know about you, but part of me wants to go, well, hold on. Now that I'm a follower of Jesus, I don't think I have to see myself any longer as that. Do I? Really? Do I really have to see myself as that? And as I thought about that through, and I, and I was thinking, like, is there anywhere in Scripture where people saw themselves as that? And I was like, well, yeah. Paul did. Paul says, he writes to Timothy, and Paul says to Timothy, he goes, that Jesus Christ was sent in the world to save sinners. And I am the greatest of all, of, of all sinners. 
Paul identifies himself of that. You read in Romans that Paul says that, he's, you know, everybody is familiar with Romans 7. Things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. You know, and, he, and at the end, he ends it off with, what a wretched man I am. And then like Aaron Eddy in that video quoted, you know, she quoted from Romans 8, 1, that right after that, but there is no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul relied on. It wasn't Paul, and no one in scripture relied on the fact that they got it all right and they have it all figured out. They've cleaned up their life. It's all nice and, and you know, snow white now. No, no. They're what, they, what everybody pointed to is what Christ had done for them in their life. And as a result, they, they knew their self-worth. And so Desmond says that it's that acceptance that I am a flawed human being. And what, he, what he's getting to, what you see laced throughout the book, all there's, there's this common thread that goes through the entire book. Humility. That we walk in humility with God, walk in humility at how we see ourselves. We have gifts, but we have flaws as well. We have our weaknesses. And Paul, it was even Paul who said, when I am weak, I have found I am strong. Not because of what Paul does, but I am strong because of what Christ does in me. Again, it comes back to who Jesus is, what Jesus has done. And when you get right down to it, what it comes down to is your self-worth, my worth, has nothing to do with our behavior. Has everything to do with who we are as people who are created in God's image. That's what it has to do with, totally. Now, who is this Erin Eddy? Because she spoke some pivotal words there, what she had to say. And Aaron, how did, I, how did I stumble upon her? I have not a clue. <laughs> Somehow one day, a few years ago, about, it'd be about five, six years ago, it was right in the middle of all the, what for me felt like a political hailstorm within North America. And just some of, the, some of the language that was coming out from people towards one another within the church, you know, you saw it on social media and it was just like, ah, right? And I stumbled upon this, website called soworthloving.com and it's nothing fancy or anything like that and when I read it I had no idea she was a follower of Jesus no idea at all but I thought to myself if you're not you're so close you could just be nudged and you'd be in um, because for what she was writing about right and what the purpose of it was and it was like a breath of fresh air and one of the things that I I really love about it is that the driving force behind So Worth Loving is that no matter who you are, what you have gone through, your struggles, any of that, you are worth it. You are worth loving. Now, what I have taken notice of, and, you know, because I wanted to, I want to jump on and sign on, you know, or whatever, right? And I start but it feels like this is mostly aimed for, at women, or not even aimed at women. It seems like mostly women are attracted to this site. And I was like, whoa, I better be careful here before I sign up. But, but it made me, makes me wonder, is, is this a real... Because there are some guys on it, but is it 
guys are have a harder time admitting that they struggle with worth? I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. I don't know. But it just makes you wonder if why women are just gravitate to that. Or if it's something maybe in our culture that, I don't know. Anyway, I don't want to get off track here. If you remember in the video, she talked about, I don't know if it was her, her friend who was talking to her or herself, but that she said that just how much she loved her daughter, whether this is her friend or her, um, but how much she loved her daughter. And it wasn't based on her daughter's behavior. It was based on who her daughter was. That's why she loved her so much. And it's, and it's so true, isn't it? That a parent, like a healthy parent, loves their child, not based on their behavior. Because that is toxic when that happens. But it's based just simply out of who they are. You know, that's, that's what it is. It's just, this, just who they are. When we think of our kids, when I think of my kids, we just love them for who they are. Right? It's not based on, did they, were they good? They're not, we're not supposed to be Santa Claus to our kids, right? We'll check off to be, if you've been naughty or nice. <laughs> if you've been naughty, you just get coal. No, no, that's not the gospel. That's not the good news. That's not how love works. Love isn't based on performance. What I really appreciate about the SoWorthLoving.com is she has, they have a manifesto. And it's great. Check it out here. No matter my history, past mistakes, relationship status, or career choice, I am worthy of love. I'm not defined by my past. I am prepared because of it. I will encourage myself and others to treat themselves with kindness, patience, respect, and all that embodies love. We live our life knowing we have worth. It's a message we need to hear over and over and over again that you have worth, I have worth. What traps us in not being able to grant forgiveness to ourselves is what I said earlier, that whole thing of shame that sometimes we get latched into. And uh, shame just acts like a prison for us. I want to return to Jesus' parable that I read earlier. And here you have, remember in that parable, you have a son, and when you, again, slow down and think about it, you have a son who is demanding their inheritance of the will now. (laughs) It is odd, right? You're supposed to wait till your parents have passed, and then you get that. But son wants it now. Father grants it to him. You can have it. And then the son packs up bags and checks out. And basically what the son has said to his father is, as far as I'm concerned, you're dead. Son goes off, goes, lives his wild life, whatever he does, squanders all his money, become, and then discovers all of a sudden he's destitute, homeless, and he, he doesn't even understand how he got where he, where he has arrived at. The food that he feeds the pigs is now starting to look good. You know you've hit bottom when that happens. You know you've hit bottom when you look at the food you're putting in your dog's dish is looking really good. (laughs) You know, you're in trouble, right? When you go, hmm, I might fight you for that, (laughs) right? 
But something happened to that son. Something somewhere switched in him where it must have been shame snuck in and he just felt, I am not worthy now. I can't be called, I can't have that title of son. Servant, I'll take servant, I'll do that, anything. And that's how he saw himself. I'm not worthy of that son. There was that unworthiness that came upon him. And even when the father came running to him, even when the father came running to him, threw his arms around him, kissed him, all he could say was the, the, the statement he had rehearsed where he says, he said to his father, I am no longer worthy of being called your son. No longer worthy. And of course, Jesus is always with good news, right? And that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of Jesus' story. It's a made-up story. But it's not the end of the story. Because remember what it says? But his father said to the servants, sort of like, ignore what he just said, <laughs> what the son just, my son just said. Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost and now he's found. Beautiful. And you know, you know, and that's not the end of it. The end of it is this, this big party they have, the son goes in to the party. Goes into the party and and I think it's safe to assume that the son realized, had finally realized his worth wasn't based on his behavior or what he had done. That his worth was based on his father's love for him, of whose son he was and always would be. That the father had never seen him as anything less than the son. Never. Even when he gave him half the inheritance and knew what his son done. His father was more concerned about his son than he was the money. How's that for a parent? That's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And I think, my guess is, he was able to forgive himself. I think he was, because he went into that celebration with his father. And he could, and he could enjoy the celebration. There was some worth that came. And here's what we need to remember. Just as, the, just as there was nothing the son could do to stop the father from loving him, there's nothing we can do to stop the father from loving us, from loving me, from loving you. The father loves you. The father loves you. The father forgives you. You are forgiven. Nothing you can do or say. Nothing. Nothing at all. Now, does self-forgiveness require, is there some requirements for self-forgiveness? Of course. Honestly, you gotta be honest with yourself. Admit, you know, that's that whole thing of admitting what I've done. There's humility, there's hard work doing that fourfold path that's in Desmond's book there. Not hard because it's, it's, it's a lot of steps or anything like that. It's hard sometimes to face some of the, some of the pain that we have to face and to, and to deal with that. That makes it hard. 
But here's the beauty of when we walk that path towards forgiveness for ourselves. You know what it does? It, re- it, it releases us from the false identity that I am a bad person. That's not, that's not true. That's not true. You are, I am created in God's image. We are. We are, and it's beautiful, and it's good. And it's when we realize that, that we discover that's the power of what love does. Love releases us from this prison of shame and brings healing, brings hope, brings restoration, brings wholeness to us. That's what it does. And forgiveness is just intricately linked to love. Love and forgiveness go hand in hand. It's what love does, and it frees us. It's the power that just frees us. And obliterates shame, which is beautiful, beautiful. Sometimes the hardest part of, of this whole thing of forgiveness, it is forgiving ourselves. That can be the hardest thing to do. And if you find yourself this morning in this place, the starting point, the starting point is simply being honest with God and saying, God, here's where I'm at. I need your help. That's the starting point right there. God, I need your help because I don't know how to get out of this place. Because it's God who will rescue us. The whole reason for Christ going to the cross, becoming the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is so that we can be free. We are free. And God has no desire to see you in this place, in this prison of shame, this place of unforgiveness towards yourself. That you are worth loving. You are. You are worth loving. I want to bring this teaching to a close by a different video on Psalm 121. Father God, I just pray that you will, as we watch this little short video, Lord, would you speak to hearts? Lord, I pray, would you heal hearts? In fact, Lord, I pray that anyone who senses that they're in this prison of shame right now, that Lord, that they would see the doors of the prison open. Chains fall off. And they are free in you, Lord, because of what you have done. Holy Spirit, come. Come and minister to our hearts. I lift my eyes to the mountain peak. Where does my help come from? It comes from you maker of heaven and earth, who holds my foot firm on the path up, who's constantly present, everywhere aware. Look, with you there's no obscurity, nothing is dim, asleep, inert 
who question and struggle, you respond. Keep hold. Give cover. So that by day the sun won't burn. Or by night the moon will mesmerize. You guard against evil. Now, always.